You're listening to a sermon from the preaching and teaching ministry of First Presbyterian Church, Covington, Tennessee. Our mission is to proclaim Christ's kingdom through word and deed. You can learn more about us at 1pc-covington.org or join us for worship at 403 South Main Street, Covington, Tennessee. The scripture for today comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 9, verses 13 through 41. It'll be found on page 895 in your pew Bible. Uh, Before we read the scripture, let's go to prayer. O Lord, your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Give us grace to receive your truth in faith and love, and strength to follow on the path you set before us. Through Jesus Christ, amen. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was the Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, He put mud on my eyes, and I washed, and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, How can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, What do you say about him? Since he has opened your eyes, he said, he is a prophet. The Jews did not believe he had been blind and had received sight until they called the parents of the man who had received sight and asked them, Is this your son who is born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, We know that this is our son and he was born blind. But how he now sees we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they had feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore his parents said, He is of age, ask him. So for the second time they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God, we know that this man is a sinner. He answered, Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I've already told you, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples? And they reviled him, saying, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, Why this amazing thing? You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, You were born an utter sinner, and would would you teach us? And they cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him. It is he who is speaking to you. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind... But you have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. Word of God for the people of God. 
Jesus said, For judgment I came into the world that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Um, some point in college, I got a, uh, had to get glasses. I hadn't really noticed anything with my vision, but I was having migraines, and um, the neurologist suggested I go to the eye doctor, and um, they found I needed just, just a little bit of a prescription, mostly to help ha- have not so much strain, and that would um, uh, let me um, hopefully prevent headaches. So I, I got home after getting the glasses, and I looked up, and I could see individual leaves on a tree where it had just been kind of a blur of leafness. Um, and I, I can remember looking around and just being amazed at the things that I was seeing in a detail that I had not seen that much before. Had, you know, it really wasn't bad need for glasses, but it was enough that when I got them, I realized I had not been seeing as well as I could. That's... Um, one of the things about our deteriorating um, um, senses and perceptions, if, if we can't hear very well, uh, we usually don't realize it. Um, or, you know, we just wonder why everybody else is muttering. And uh, if we don't see so well, we, we don't realize until we see the, you know, can see very good. Um, in other words, there, there's kind of a, a way we don't recognize our, our need, um, and, and that's part of the, the issue with spiritual blindness, is that we don't recognize that we are blind. We just are misunderstanding. We're, we're in darkness and don't realize uh, what the light would do for us. And that is what sin is. Sin is um, partly spiritual blindness and very sadly, it's a spiritual blindness that convinces us that we really can see, that we operate within a distorted view of reality, but we think that we know the truth. And that's the spiritual blindness that Jesus addresses in this. And he says that he comes and he judges us um, so that those who don't see can see, and those who see will be blind. And the idea there um, is that the way you respond to Jesus is judgment. For some look at Jesus and pass it off as foolishness, evil, wickedness. Others look to Jesus and confess their need. Those who think they can see remain in their sin. Those who confess they need help, that they're blind apart from Christ, he gives sight, causes them to see. And this very much summarizes the story that's told here of the man Jesus has healed and the interrogation by the Pharisees that takes place. I want to look at the Pharisees' response as we see them becoming more and more blind or hardened in their judgment against Jesus, and then look at the man's growth in sight and his development of spiritual understanding. So, so they bring the man... And then John points out to us, just now, verse 14, it was the Sabbath day when Jesus made mud and opened his eyes. Now, by the scripture that tells us not to work on the Lord's day, um, Jesus did not sin. He didn't break that. Uh, But technically, with those who have built up laws on top of God's law and who are adhering more to that tradition um, of, of what they're inter- the way they've interpreted the Bible, 
technically, Jesus has uh, broken the law against kneading. He has rubbed water or spit and earth together and made mud. He has produced clay and by healing the man. And so they would look at this as not keeping the Sabbath. Um, a lot of effort that goes into that, you know, rubbing fingers together. Um, but that's what they're looking at is he's broken our law. They're extra biblical rules about the Sabbath. So verse 16 Some of the Pharisees say this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. In other words, they have their assumptions of what the law is, what the presupp you know, they've presupposed this is what reality looks like. Therefore, this man who does not keep the Sabbath, according to our interpretation, could obviously not be from God. They don't take it as maybe we have a faulty interpretation of Scripture. Maybe our understanding of God is wrong. It's rather, this is our understanding. This man doesn't fit. He must be a sinner. And so they debate, how could a sinner do such good works? And then they, they ask the man, what do you think? He, he did this to you. What do you think? And the man says, well, he's a prophet. He's done a great work. He, he's a good man. He, he must be someone who knows God, who speaks on behalf of God. So the first is they, they've, they've gotten into this real, realization that um, Jesus doesn't fit their understanding of God or reality. The word for that is cognitive dissonance. It's when you have an understanding of reality. You have an understanding of the world, and you encounter something that doesn't fit the way you understand the world to work. And what our tendency is to do is to some way change what we're seeing to make it fit our worldview rather than go back and reevaluate everything we understand to be reality. So, verse 18, they want to discredit the evidence that they see. They want to dismiss this man, so they question whether he has truly been healed. Verse 18, the Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called his parents to the man who had received the sight. So, obviously, a sinful man who doesn't keep the Sabbath according to our interpretation can't do this healing, must not have really been healed. It's a scam. So, they're going to call his parents. Um, if you've ever been in an argument with somebody over politics who has a different view than you, you've watched somebody possibly experience cognitive dissonance. It's amazing as evidence comes up, the way different people try to spin that evidence. I mean, it's just all around us. You can, you can pick the channel you want based on the view you already have, and it's amazing how any event has radical different interpretations based on which channel or which blog you're viewing or watching. Well, what we do is we dismiss evidence that doesn't fit our worldview. We see this with those who uphold um, an understanding of reality that it's only material that we're only here because blind evolution has formed molecules into life and all of this. Um, they, they've taken evidence and dismissed it. The whole, when, when Darwin developed his view, he did so on, a, on an idea that matter is here and it's eternal. That is called steady state theory. There's just matter and matter has always been here. In the 1920s, some scientists started discovering, 
whoa, galaxies seem to be moving away from each other, which means they, they seem to have had a starting point. And, and there was a lot of development to this idea that there was a beginning to the matter. In the 60s, there was some confirmation of this as they discovered um, some cosmic microwave background radiation. I had to Google that. That, that kind of gave evidence to the, the theory they were developing, that in other words, the, the universe had a beginning point and was expanding from that, and they came up with the understanding of the Big Bang. Well, the whole point of the Big Bang was there was a beginning, there was a start, and which should have discredited any theory that is based completely on an eternal mater- you know, eternally material being there all the time, giving things time to, you know, presumably develop and become develop complexity rather than saying okay there's a beginner there must be a cause to that beginning there are those who dismiss and and keep taking it and finding some way that the universe could cause itself material could cause itself that all the laws we know about you know objects in motion and rest are overturned rather than saying maybe there's a creator we 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 want to take things and that back up our view of reality, whether it's materialists dis- dismissing any view of a creator, whether it's people who want to live on their authority and they find somebody who will help them discredit the authority of Scripture, whether it's finding some outlandish theory about Jesus or suppressed church history so they can dismiss the idea of religious faith, or maybe very close to all of us, attempts to dismiss the witness of our own conscience about what is real and true, what we know in our heart and ways we can override that. They didn't want the evidence to overturn their presuppositions, so they call in his parents and they question him. And what we're told is, they say, yeah, we know he was blind and now sees, but we don't know anything else. And John tells us in verse 22 But they said this because they feared the Jews. Now, we have to understand the way John uses that term. Uh, they themselves were Jews. The man who was healed Jews. Jesus is Jewish. So he's, he's not saying all these people, but he's saying this, this group of leadership, these Pharisees, the, the ones who were in, had already agreed that anyone who would confess Jesus to be Christ should be put out of the synagogue. So this is the second way things are often um, dealt with. If you don't like the evidence bully and threaten intimidate tell people if you go along with this we'll get you we'll throw you out we'll dismiss you we'll ostracize you we'll boycott you do you realize the number of changes especially in the last few years that have taken place with the progress of the sexual revolution have not taken place because scientists have done studies and come to a different understanding. And they haven't come because people have had a debate and a discussion and really kind of understand things differently. What has been pushed through, especially, I mean, with the the latest insanity on gender theory, has not been because we found studies that this is what's good for people. But it's been that school boards and businesses and local governments and medical professions have been intimidated and bullied and told that if you don't play along, 
And if you don't accommodate what used to be considered a mental disorder, we will boycott you. We will drag your reputation down. We will have lawsuits. We will make a hassle for you. Isn't that the way we often do things? You, you don't go along with us, and we're going to make it rough for you. We're going to bully. We're going to intimidate. So they hold back on their belief of understanding. We don't say anything. They're not going to speak up because they're afraid. And I have to ask, how often do we hold back from speaking up the truth because of fear of what other people will think about us, what other people will say about us, what other ways they will intimidate us, or just what kind of hassle and you know, inconvenience somebody will make for us if we don't just go along. So the parents don't help them. They call the man back a second time. This time you can detect a little bit of an attitude. He says, you've already asked me. You don't listen. Why do you want me to tell you again? Do you also want to be his disciple? None. Verse 34, they revert to insults and revile, I'm sorry, 28, they revile him, they insult him. We see how in verse 34 is they insult him and call him names. You are a holy, a sinner since your birth. Can't get rid of the evidence, can't intimidate somebody. You, you, you label them with a name and just dismiss them. I don't have to listen to somebody if I can just throw a name and, and make them less than human. I don't have to listen to their argument. I don't have to listen to their point. And we've gotten pretty good at that as a nation. So-and-so is a Nazi. Don't have to listen to them. Now, I, the weird thing about this is I don't hear a lot of people in, like I actually talk to, it seems to be more on news and blogs and Twitter and things, but so-and-so's a Nazi. We don't have to listen to them. So-and-so's a social justice worker. They're only about political correctness. I don't have to listen to them. And so we never have to listen to anybody who disagrees if we can just label them with something and, and just give them a name. And so he's a sinner. We don't have to listen to this sinner. And finally, they were secure in their self-righteousness. Verse 28, we don't want to be his disciple. You're his disciple. Uh, we're disciples of Moses. What that means is we know Moses' law, and we keep the rules. We do what's right. We're the good people. We worship. We um, do what Moses says. We're Moses' disciples. We don't need you. They thought they were in good standing with God. They thought they had God's privilege because they did what God wanted them to do. Yet they did not recognize Jesus nor his work. They didn't know God nor God's work. Now, this might be something more that we need to hear because these were the Bible-believing conservative folks who worshiped and kept traditions, but they were blind to God. Please hear this. Believing that Scripture is true is not enough. It is absolutely necessary. We have to understand the truths of Scripture in order to believe them. But believing them, the fact of them, isn't enough. The Pharisees believed it. They knew it better than anyone here. But they didn't know Him. 
you know, it's the difference between intellectually knowing that if you get on a plane, it is capable, apart from airlines incompetency, that a plane is capable of getting you to Orlando or Nashville or some location. It's all the difference in the world of intellectually knowing it's capable and getting on the plane and trusting it. That's the difference of intellectually knowing the Bible is true and trusting in the one the Bible reveals to us. Knowing the Bible isn't enough. Being conservative will not save you. I think we have a tendency to think that if you uphold traditional morality that is in the Bible, God likes you more. The Bible has clear morality that does to line up with more of, you know, <laughs> good family values, but also compassion and, and other things. There, there's, there's real values here, but none of what, no one is saved by a conservative view. No one is saved by keeping the rules. No one is saved by obeying the law. And I, and I, I think that so many of us think that we're good Christians if we just uphold traditional morality. By all means, traditional morality is going to make us flourish and we want to uphold it and, and we want to champion it, but it's not going to save you. By the works of the law, no one will be saved. The problem with spiritual blindness is you think you see. You have to recognize your blindness and your need for Jesus, which is called repentance. It's, it's turning away from your old understanding and learning something new so that you can learn Christ. It's not following what um, you always understood reality to be so that you can come to him who is truth. The idea of, of washing the mud off his eyes is a perfect picture of that. He reveals to us that we don't see, that our, mind, our vision is cloudy, we don't understand reality, and washing it off like our baptism of, of removing the uncleanliness from us so that we can see, so that we can trust. And so we see the one whose mud was washed off, who could see, the man who was healed from his blindness. He grows in his understanding of who Jesus is. He gradually develops insight Verse 11, he says that he is a man named Jesus. This is who gave me my sight, a man named Jesus. And as they challenge him and as they argue, as they say he's a sinner who doesn't keep the Sabbath, they ask him, and now he sees this man as a prophet, verse 17. Verse 27, now he begins to identify himself as a disciple of this prophet, and then he gives a response to them and says that this man is um, from God and doing works that no one else has ever done. He's understanding the uniqueness of Jesus, and now he's put outside of the synagogue. He's completely outside of what he has always known to be true. A beautiful picture of complete unlearning as Jesus comes to him, and Jesus is revealed more fully when he asks him to believe. Do you believe in the Son of Man? When he understands that Jesus is him, he, he believes, but not only that, he worships. He believes in him, not just the facts, but he trusts him and he worships him. That, that, is, that is seeing him as who he is. He is God who alone is worthy of our worship.
What a question for us. Do you believe in the Son of Man? Repentance is part of our unlearning the lies. It's not just adding Jesus into what we already know. It's changing what we know to see the world in a new way, which means there's things you have to unlearn, lies you've been told about God and yourself and the world, this idea that God just wants us to be happy and he's kind of there to help us out to be happy when we want it, that your sins aren't really all that bad and that he's just there to give us a helping hand and he's not really concerned about day-to-day rather than a holy God with whom we are estranged who has come to rescue us and save us on the cross. And he teaches us to learn that and live that because morality and truth go hand in hand. As we understand the reality of who Jesus is, we, we do more and more of the truth. And so as we see this repentance, we also see this progressive nature of this man unlearning his lies and learning who Jesus is as he gets the gift of faith, as he understands Christ. If you do not fully understand who Christ is, as you're growing in your understanding, as you're growing in your commitment, take encouragement from this man who grew in his faith of understanding his blindness and coming to trust in Jesus. If you have people in your life that you love and you don't see them trusting in Christ, Take encouragement that he grows in his understanding, that they can grow in their understanding. Pray for yourself that Christ would open your eyes and give you the gift of faith that you might trust in him. Pray for those you love that he might draw them to him and and open their eyes to give them truth. Have patience with yourself and have patience with others to recognize that there are steps to coming to understand who Jesus is. And let us look to the cross and ask ourselves, how do we respond? How does he judge us? Do we look to the cross and think that's nice, but, you know, I'm pretty good. I mean, why wouldn't God want me? You know, I mean, I'm, I'm everything God would want people to be. In other words, if we think we're disciples of Moses, if we think we keep the law and we don't see our need for Jesus, we're blind. Do you see Jesus intellectually as a good man, a prophet, good moral teaching to follow? Or have you stepped on to understand he is the son of man who died on the cross for your sins? And he's not one you just add in as a part of your life, but he is one you bow down and worship as your Lord and your Savior. Do you believe in the son of man? Now unto him who is able to do more than we can ask or imagine be honor and glory and power forever. Amen. And you've been listening to a sermon from the preaching and teaching ministry of First Presbyterian Church, Covington, Tennessee. Our mission is to proclaim Christ's kingdom through word and deed. You can learn more about us and listen to other sermons at onepc-covington.org or join us for worship at 403 South Main Street, Covington, Tennessee.